We hope to encourage other companies to be open too. And so to that end, as we're building out tools that we need inside of GitHub to be successful, we're working on releasing those and making those available as open source or closing gaps within the product if it helps other OSPOs be successful too. Hi, welcome to the Open at Intel podcast. I'm Katherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist here at Intel. I spoke with Ashley Wolf, director of GitHub's open source program office, about her unique view of the open source community and best practices for open source projects and communities. I think you'll enjoy hearing Ashley's advice. And as always, please join us again for more important open source conversations. You can find more from the team at open.intel at open.intel.com and at open at Intel on Twitter. Oh, thank you so much, Ashley, for joining me. I'm really excited because, Ashley, you are with GitHub, as, as you know. <laughs> and GitHub really is where a lot of open source gets made today. And I think that's really exciting for a lot of people because I'm hoping we'll get to peek behind the curtain just a tiny bit. But Ashley, if you wouldn't mind, just just tell everyone listening a little bit about yourself and, and how you got to where you are and what it is you do at GitHub. Sure. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Really excited to be here today. I'm Ashley Wolf. I lead GitHub's open source program office or OSPO. I've been at GitHub for about two and a half years now, and I'm focused on helping people at GitHub be successful with open source. We do that through both programs and product work, which hopefully we'll cover a little bit throughout the show. I became familiar with OSPOs after I knew what open source was. I came around to work in what I think is a bit of a niche uh, because I was very interested in the intersection of technology, public policy, and community. And along the way, after I started getting involved in open source as a developer, I learned that there were organizations that create these programs around, quote unquote, giving code away for free. And I was really surprised. I was like, wow, like companies are giving their code away for free. What's that all about? I started to do a bit more research in that area and learned about folks like Heather Meeker, Gil Yehuda, and others that were championing this idea of open source program offices. I became really interested in joining one. I learned everything I could about a career path and opportunity there. And fortunately, uh, about a decade ago, I ended up joining the Yahoo Open Source Program Office and got my started, got my start working in OSPOs there. Oh, very cool. I think it's, it's relevant. And I do want to mention that we had, a, I had a conversation with Jessica Mars, who heads up our own OSPO here at Intel. And I wanted to mention, uh, something that came up in that conversation, which is that the role of the OSPO and OSPOs themselves can be quite different at different companies. And I think that's kind of an interesting perspective that you might bring. I think no matter what, the the OSPO role is important to connecting so many dots across a company, across an organization. But how do you view the role of the OSPO? And, and what are your priorities at GitHub? Sure. And and I heard that podcast and Jessica said it very well. Um, I'll say it in another way. It's not one size fits all when it comes to creating an OSPO inside of an organization. With more traditional large companies where there are uh, there's a status quo around having an OSPO because they use a lot of open source, they want to create a strategy around open source. So it makes sense to 
have a program office like that, you'll see pretty similar functions around focusing on open source license compliance, focusing on security vulnerabilities within open source, and then looking after the communities and open source that folks within the company are creating and hopefully establishing some presence within the ecosystem through working with organizations, external engagement work, maybe sustaining open source on their own through contributions or funding organizations and foundations. So we'll see a lot of that with more of the large companies like tech companies. And in addition to that, I've seen the trend now shift maybe away from a focus on compliance and code to a lot more around community and engagement as we move away from just big companies setting up OSPOs to all types of other industries looking at learnings from what we've done with OSPOs and taking those to build out their own open source program offices. So for example, universities are creating OSPOs and their focus isn't necessarily around code and compliance. It's more on the external engagements, connecting with researchers, connecting with other universities. And we're seeing a rise with governments creating OSPOs as they're embracing the adoption of open source, wanting to contribute more, and wanting to focus on securing open source more. So as I mentioned already, GitHub is the home to so much open source. Yes. I mean, there are, there are, it, it still exists in other places. It's, you know, I, I was reminded that SourceForge still exists, but GitHub really is, is a big part of it today. And, and it's foundational to the open source software ecosystem. So many projects rely on GitHub and its tools. Like who among us doesn't love GitHub actions, right? So, so for that reason, I think your, your perspective seems uniquely valuable. Um, what is it like seeing GitHub's community roll from your angle? I'm super excited to be able to see things from this side. I remember eagerly looking at GitHub, wondering how to absorb all that was happening there. And now that I'm on the other side of the table, I'm, I'm able to see all this activity and community at scale. I'm consistently in awe and I'm excited at the prospect of learning something new about what people are doing in open source and sharing that excitement or celebrating it with them. I think our latest stats that we share about what's happening on GitHub is somewhere like there's 100 million developers today on GitHub, 4 million plus organizations. And just last year alone, there was 413 million contributions to open source. And when we look at the perspective from an OSPO, Some of the most popular projects on GitHub are backed by companies. Some of the large projects that we all rely on and we use, there's a number of them that are company-led, company-maintained, and a lot of people inside of companies are working on open source more and more as part of their full-time jobs. That's very cool. I, I also wonder, again, from your position, how does visibility into that greater... GitHub landscape inform your own use of open source software within the company? It's kind of, it's very, uh, it's meta, if you will. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, open source person working for the open source company. Yeah. Open source was happening long before I came to GitHub. And there is a tremendous amount of open source that we use that we're contributing to. And a number of people at GitHub 
that are considerable maintainers and involved in different parts of the ecosystem. So when we look at the goals for establishing an OSPO at GitHub a few years back, it really centered around helping us be more successful since we operate at such a large scale with the amount of open source we use. We encourage a lot of open source use. We encourage people to contribute to open source to create a lot of open source. And over the years, we found ourselves in a place where We've done a lot. Now we want to be better stewards of what we have out there. We want to be actively maintaining and helping our projects to be successful, working more closely with the community. So inside of GitHub, within our OSPO, we focused on establishing guidelines, some policies, and a framework to help folks that wanted to do these types of open source engagements, doing in a way that followed best practices, both on behalf of what the business or legal or security teams would expect, as well as what the community expects from us so that we can be good corporate citizens around open source like we all want to be, and so that our projects that we create and put out there can hopefully be successful and valuable to others. I love it. You, 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 um, you used a phrase near and dear to all of our hearts, which is best practices. <laughs> And I actually wanted to mention really quickly that the numbers you were throwing out earlier, it's funny from, again, from my perspective and yours too, we've both been around open source for quite a long time. And those kind of numbers are so mind blowing, right? Yes. You used to kind of feel like open source was, was almost a small world. Like people, we all kind of knew each other, or at least a couple degrees. So yeah, so that, that's, you know, just amazing to hear numbers like you were throwing out a while ago. But yeah, back to best practices. I, I'd love to kind of discuss some lessons you've learned on, uh, contribution best practices, consumption best practices, community best practices? Definitely. I think one that we get asked about a lot and that resonates with many groups that are looking to establish an OSPO or people inside of organizations that want to get started with creating a brand new project is around setting up the life cycle for your project, meaning be prepared not only to set it up, get it out there, talk about it, welcome the community, get everything you need in the repo set up to the standards that your organization sets. For example, you'll want a code of conduct, a license file, a hefty readme. In addition to all that, you'll want to think about what success for the project looks like. And if you're not meeting your goals around the project or it's not gaining the traction you're looking for, or ultimately it comes to a point where there's no longer maintainership happening within the project, what are you going to do about it? So prepare for the project to enter the open source arena and hopefully to be successful. And then think about what does it look like to wind down the project when it comes to the point where it's no longer going to be actively maintained or supported by your organization, perhaps. And so at GitHub, as we've created all these projects over the years, what we've learned is how important it is to also do graceful exits from projects or to pr plan to communicate when we intend to sunset a project to make sure that the community is aware. And so as we went through all these exercises, I think that's very helpful for others to think of as well. We've published a few guidelines and resources and made those available to others in our own repo called GitHub-OSPO. So others could learn from our experiences there too. 
And it's something a lot of other communities think about as well within the Apache Software Foundation. They have the concept of an attic. They talk about what it looks like for projects to go through the life cycle from incubator to active and then to wind it down. I, you know, I love that you mentioned winding it down. Quite honestly, in my personal experience as a developer, contributor, consumer of open source projects, some of the times when I've been the most impressed with someone's work and contribution is in sunsetting a project, is in correctly wrapping it up, doing it responsibly and with great consideration for the people that are using it. And I think that's really interesting that you bring that up because it's not necessarily the first thing people think of. But it's incredibly important work and it's incredibly to be important to be thoughtful and, and be a good citizen, which kind of brings me to my next question. And it's kind of a multi-part, so be please bear with me here. And one is that just what do you what does it mean to be a good open source citizen? Because I think that can be a very complex thing. And, you know, as we've just talked about best practices and, and you, you hinted at some of them, like, again, sunsetting correctly, but. But if there are any specific pitfalls where people might, might really want to revisit and, and focus where they, they might have missed, like where are people getting it right and where are people not? Sure. So to me at the core, being a good open source citizen means responsible use of open source and contributing to the open source ecosystem. And that can unfold in a number of ways that can mean things like License compliance, ensuring you're meeting the obligations of all the licenses for the open source you depend on. Participating in sustaining critical open source that you depend on or that the community relies on to ensure that it's secure, healthy, and well-maintained. We've all heard horror stories about cases where projects can succumb to the pitfalls of lack of maintainership overwhelming number of security vulnerabilities, and then we all scramble to figure out what to do about our dependencies. So being responsible with not only using open source, but also finding ways to contribute back to these projects, whether that's code, non-code contribution, dollars directly to the projects, organizations, or ecosystem members that help to funnel money and support the health of these projects. In addition to that, there are some ways that we can think about sustaining that go beyond just dollars. That can be code or non-code contributions, but it can also be strategic partnerships, joining working groups. There's activities, even if you're in an OSPO, that you may not be aware of. There's working groups within the Chaos Project. The Chaos Project is a Linux mm -hmm. Foundation group that's focused on community health and metrics around open source. There's one group right now that's focused on OSPO value metrics, which is super interesting and helpful for all of us that look at how to measure success within our OSPOs. In addition, there's a number of OSPO working groups. Another through the Linux Foundation is the to-do group. There's also OSPO++, OSPO Alliance, and a new OSPO working group that's focused on university-based OSPOs. So there's many ways that not only we can use, but contribute back. And for OSPOs, it's important to figure out where you'll be able to balance not only using, but giving back. And many of us think about that with budgets, but it can also be uh, how people can spend their time supporting the ecosystem as well. So that's 
That's another interesting pivot, actually. You threw out some really interesting numbers, but again, I, I feel like I can't say enough how, how what a, an interesting position that I feel like you're in to, to, to learn and observe in ways that would be more difficult for others. And I think that we can all benefit quite a bit from those observations. And I wondered if there was anything else interesting that is maybe unique to your perspective that you could tell us about sort of the big picture of that kind of contribution activity, or as you say, healthy projects, measuring health, health metrics, all of those things. So I mentioned it a bit, but with OSPOs, I think the shift away from OSPOs just being for traditionally large companies to all types of industries and sectors moving beyond just tech companies to seeing OSPOs spin up within universities and government settings is really interesting to follow, Mm -hmm. specifically because they don't just focus on the code. It's also about the community and taking the learnings from open source programs, uh, the good and bad, to see how they can apply that to their own OSPOs and be successful with their goals. When it comes to contributions, there has been this shift away from just saying contributions or code to finding ways other than just code to contribute, whether that's documentation, design work. If you find bugs within a project, jumping in and helping to submit an issue to resolve that. We're seeing that because of efforts like Hacktoberfest, encouraging people to go and participate in open source for the first time. Perhaps from my perspective, what also could be unique is I think there has been a shift around contributions where more people are able to start their career in open source as a result Mm -hmm. of being a contributor for the first time to an open source project. We're seeing now Uh. and I'm hearing from people that from participating in an open source project and the maintainers seeing the effort there and continuing to be a part of the project, that person who didn't know much about open source is now able to turn that work into something that could be a career or funding their life from doing open source work and becoming a maintainer in that project enables them to be able to do that. So seeing the shift from uh, you you put out your code and you may not get anything in return to now there's an economy around being able to do open source, receive funding, sponsorship, and maybe build a career out of it has been a really exciting and welcome turn of things. Yeah, that's a great point too. Um, consider how how important your GitHub profile has become as part of your resume. It, it, yes. it kind of is your resume for, for a lot of engineers and developers. And I think that's an, that's an interesting position to be in. It, it raises lots of questions that where we could go down about how one might embellish that reputation. <laughs> Right, like the accuracy. I mean, no, you like manipulating the contribution graph. People game the system, right? Right. I've actually been involved in projects that have those kind of um, credit systems, and it is kind of interesting to think about how people might game those systems because it is—it has become a completely. There's a whole economy around it, and there are incentives for, for bad actors, I suppose, as well. So there are a couple a couple directions I want to go. Something that you mentioned about Ospos made me made me wonder about your thoughts on company size and OSPOs, right? We th- big companies have OSPOs. They, you know, yes. we, we all do. But a lot of smaller companies do not. 
there is, I, I'm not sure actually where the pivot point is. Like, it's, what point is a company big enough where you're, you're more likely to, to find an OSPO versus not? But what do you recommend? What do you suggest to people within smaller companies who may not have an OSPO? Are there, are there takeaways that people can learn from your OSPO and others that would benefit their work in a smaller company? It's extremely valuable to have an OSPO, even from the point where you're a startup, because at one point, you may want your startup to get acquired. And when you go through the process of M&A, they're going to ask you what all software you use, what you depend on, what it's licensed under. You'll have to go through this whole compliance investigation and uh, experience. And out of that, if you had an OSPO that was able to help you by setting up the inventory of what you rely on, knowing about the state of open source across the company, that would make it a lot smoother. In addition to compliance, OSPOs can help with that community effort. And as a smaller organization or company, there can be a huge advantage to doing outreach, to setting up a hackathon, to talking about your project. And the beauty of open source is it's the tech you can talk about. You could put your code out there. You can share stories around it. People can peek under the hood and see what your tech stack might look like. And it really does help you to attract more talent by showing off what you're working on. So in that sense, it's really helpful, not only if you're a large organization, but for small ones too. When you get to the point where you're perhaps medium size or large size, you're hopefully aware at the, to the extent that you depend on open source within your company. And if you're not aware, uh, you definitely need an OSPO uh, but more than likely, you're using open source, no matter what size organization you're in. And so it's important to be responsible when it comes to open source use and to be thoughtful about how you'll contribute back or create open source. With that said, uh, your OSPO can be set up to meet the goals and to have success metrics based off what your needs are. And they may differ. Uh, and that's OK. It's not a one size fits all model but you can look at the extent of the open source that you rely on and figure out what makes the most sense for your group. I, I love that you, you mentioned something in there effectively that you're, you're probably using open source, right? Most people, people are using it. it I, I hope that companies are aware of how much uh, open source, how important open source is to the making of software today. It is how software gets made. You're going to find some open source in there somewhere. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, that level of awareness is, is so important, and weird, which makes me, you know, reminds me to pivot uh, the the conversation a little bit to something near and dear to my heart again, which is security. And I wondered, uh, you know, about your thoughts on your specific role in your OSPO on the company's security posture, and but also just, you know, how does this again, good stewardship of projects, good open source citizenship, how does all of that relate to one's security posture? The success of an OSPO definitely can depend on the strength of your partnerships with others within the organization. And a key one should be the security team. Fortunately, at GitHub, we have a great relationship with the security folks. We work both together to strengthen security around our open source dependencies, but we're also conscious of the open source that we put out there to make sure that it's secure for the folks that may be using it and relying on it. In the past year, we've actively been working together on a program called 
durable open source. And the idea behind it is that we have our full inventory of all the open source that we put out there. We know who's maintaining it at the company. And if they're no longer there, we can go find somebody else, hopefully, to take over stewarding it. In addition to that, we can look to make sure that we're receiving alerts if any security vulnerabilities come up in those repositories. And through all of this effort, at the end of it, we're able to make sure that we're actively monitoring and securing all the open source we put out there for the benefit of ourselves, of course, but the community as well. So that's been a nice way for us to collaborate directly with one of our partners. When it comes to other efforts that OSPOs care about, we're keenly invested in SBOMs, generating credits around open source, making sure we're aware of everything in our supply chain. And within our OSPO, we rely on security partners to help us there, but we're actively monitoring as well. I think of the OSPO as such an important kind of hub with spokes out into the company yes. to centralize a lot of these efforts and make sure things run smoothly. And and that tends to be one of the first questions people ask about setting up an OSPO. Where should it live? And to me, it comes down to wherever you'll be able to be successful with establishing those relationships. Where will you be able to drive influence across the organization in a cross-functional way? Because you will need to partner with security. You will need to partner mm -hmm. with legal and many other groups to be successful, especially if you're setting up policies and communicating those out. And sure, you could be successful from within the marketing organization with your OSPO, but it may make more sense to be closer to where the engineers or developers are in a central tech or platform group. But ideally, wherever you can exact your influence and you can be better partners for all those organizations. Oh, fantastic. I'm actually kind of nearing the end of, of where I was going with this. So I wanted to make sure you got an opportunity. If there's anything that you wanted to talk about that I haven't asked, I think this is a great time. And I also wondered maybe, as I alluded to at the beginning, you know, we hoped you might pull back the curtain just a tiny bit because so many people, again, rely on, on GitHub and, and its role in the community and hosting projects and communicating and all of those things. I wondered if there's any, um, any, any additional kind of insights or tidbits you might like to share about about things that uh, people might not know about GitHub. I mean, I hesitate to put it this way because I feel like everybody knows GitHub. Everybody, I think, takes full advantage of all of the tools that GitHub has. I was thinking, is there some tool that people aren't taking advantage of enough that you would suggest? What's your favorite GitHub action? I, I'm really proud of what we've done in the GitHub OSPO to publish a series of guides that are available in the GitHub-OSPO repo, where we're sharing out some of the tools that OSPOs can take advantage of to be successful on GitHub. Some of those include actions that we created and use within the OSPO. One is a stale repos action. This helps us to find, and we run it monthly, and we are able to find a list of repos that have been inactive for a year or two so that we can take efforts to archive them. We also use one called Issue Metrics. It helps us to see how responsive we are in helping others inside of the company if they have questions about releasing open source or making contributions or using open source. We use that as a method of um, monitoring and measuring SLAs. 
we've published both of those and made them available. We'd love to invite other folks in the community and OSPOs to use them and give feedback about where you'd like those to go. We're also working on a few products that we hope can help other OSPOs. Uh, because at GitHub, we recognize that we have shared challenges, just like other OSPOs do. We might manage a lot more open source than others, or we might be more open when it comes to embracing contributions and releases. We hope to encourage other companies to be open too. And so to that end, as we're building out tools that we need inside of GitHub to be successful, we're working on releasing those and making those available as open source or closing gaps within the product if it helps other OSPOs be successful too. One example there is uh, we found it pretty painful and manual if you want to archive a lot of repos. And many OSPOs go through this annual audit period where you want to clean up all the things that are inactive. And you might write a script to help you, but overall, it's a pretty painful experience. So we worked on a feature in the product to allow you to archive an entire organization. So if you have dozens of repos inside of one organization, now you can simply archive it at the org level and all those repos will become read-only. They'll be marked with a banner that says they're archived and do all the things you might expect to happen as a result of archiving. And that really helps us to be much more efficient around archiving at scale and to do cleanup a lot faster. So we hope to be able to provide more value to other OSPOs by the learnings we have from managing a lot of open source. That is the perfect answer, honestly. I will definitely drop links to some of these things in, in the description. I feel like you share so many struggles that the rest of us do, but then you also have your unique struggles. So you are, again, uniquely positioned to be incredibly helpful to the rest of the community. Thank you so, so much. I think, I think people are gonna get a lot of, out of this and I really appreciate those tips there at the end. Thank you so much, Catherine. It was great being here. Until next time, I hope to see you uh, in person at an event very soon. Yes, definitely.